Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. Hope everyone has enjoyed the first two weeks of college baseball. It's been so much fun to watch, and I'm just glad I'm able to watch baseball on TV. And uh, I think you know, the college players who, who didn't get to play you know, very much last, last year, I think you can see that early on just by the emotion over the first two weeks of the season, which again is just is great to see. And on this episode, we have uh, Tyler Pakanek, who is currently the volunteer at the University of Missouri. So he talks a little bit about you know his experience in in college baseball. He's been at Stetson. He's been at uh, Ohio University. He's been a few different places, and I, th- I think it's awesome just to have someone on who has a, a different perspective to be able to be at so many different places and and yet you, you'll be able to hear some consistent themes that no matter where he's at he still likes to implement um, with the players who are in front of him so this is going to be a, an infield specific episode you know towers a, you know like to call it infield if you want to call him a guru he, he puts out some great content on social media I've learned a, I've learned a ton just by listening and watching uh, some of the things that, that he's put out. And so, if you're someone who is a coach and really wants to take your infield game to the next level and be able to help out your players, this is going to be a good episode for you. We're going to talk a lot of different drills. We're going to talk different implements you can use to make practices more difficult. And we're going to also get into a little bit how do you chart that? How do you make it a data driven approach to infield play? And that might be a little bit difficult just by listening. And luckily, Tyler has his own website, and he goes through on his website how to actually implement into your practice and track and practice and in the game to make it a data-driven so players can see themselves getting better or regressing over time. So great episode. Again, if you're into infield, this is an episode you're going to want to stick around and listen to all the way through. Um, so I appreciate everyone um, who, who has continued to listen to the podcast. It's going to you know, continue to go strong even through the season. And uh, again, I, I appreciate all, all of you who have been out, been able to go on iTunes and um, you know, leave a five-star rating and, and write a review. That's awesome to see. So ladies, ladies and gentlemen, here is my episode with Tyler Pakenick. All right, we are now live with Tyler Pakanick. Tyler, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, you know, you're in season right now, and as a college baseball coach, I mean, you guys have like 10 jobs uh, just in general, but I'm sure during the season your schedule's even more packed. So I appreciate you coming on uh, first off. But you had your, your very first weekend this past weekend, uh, opening weekend. How was that and just experiencing – you know, not, you're at Missouri now. It's your first year there, and with mm-hmm. the college season getting shut down last year, I mean, what what was that first weekend like uh, back playing college baseball? You know, it was a little bittersweet because we didn't play all so well. Um, but at the end of the day, it was a surreal moment for me, um, kind of living out my dream. And I've always wanted to be a college baseball coach, and going whatever 365 days without it was, was pretty tough. Um, you know, we use those, I, I feel like I did a pretty good job over that year of learning and growing as a coach, but man, there's nothing like going out there and competing between the lines against somebody you really don't know. Right. So it was cool to have that back again. We didn't have the weekend that we wanted, but 
it was a surreal moment to get back out there and know that we have college baseball back. For sure. For sure. What, uh, what, what was your experience like? Cause you've been a little bit everywhere. I mean, you've done college now you've done travel baseball. I know last year you're the head coach of the uh, 2024 Orlando Scorpions team. Mm-hmm. What, what was that experience like? And I'm sure you, because you've been to a few different places, it really helps you see baseball, especially college baseball from a holistic lens. What, what was that experience like doing the travel baseball thing last summer? It's funny that you mentioned that because I, I always tell people, yes, I, I learn a lot from our guys at the college level, but I believe that you learn way more when you teach youth baseball. Um, and it goes to, I, I used to do lessons with five and six year olds because I had to speak at like the simplest terms and it kind of slows things down for you. And I truly believe there, there's kids out there, five, six years old that have, you know, same problems that some of the college guys have, but as a coach, it kind of lets me see it in slow motion. And then if I can communicate with a five or six year old, there's no doubt in my mind, I can communicate with those college guys. And same thing from the high school level. Um, you know, everybody's kind of on a different learning curve. Everybody learns different. Um, and that was one thing, you know, that was really cool to get back out there and competing this summer when I was coaching those, you know, soon to be high school kids was, you know, Hey, let's, you know, let's just go out and compete. And it's kind of be able to get my coaching voice back since we didn't have baseball there for a couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I remember hearing with the Scorpions, they run it a little differently in that they don't do a ton of tournaments. Is that correct? Yeah. So actually, and, and it's really cool. I, I love the whole layout of it. So almost basically that first month of June is like development month. And mm. we'd go down to like a, what we'd call like our spring training site and, you know, we'd have like our individual time that we'd have our defensive rotations. We'd have our base running rotations and we'd have our hitting rotations. And really, like, it was a cool model. Like, I, I feel that, you know, so many travel organizations get some bad names, but, you know, the Orlando Scorpions, they, they did it right. It was an awesome opportunity. Um, I really felt like the players got a lot out of it and not just from a competing and being exposed, but they learned a lot. And that was a big thing. That's pretty cool. And then you went to Marietta college. Uh, I think they, they, I think they redid everything there. They got all turf field and everything. Now, have you been back lately? I have not. So right when I graduated, there had always been talks like you're, we're going to get a new field turf, all that, but I had just missed it. And now, you know, it's one of the, it, even then it was one of the top college division three college baseball fields. And now it's just blows, you know, every park out of the water. Um, great program, great history. Coach Brewer's a winner. Uh, I still use some of the stuff that he taught me, and I still hear from some of his sayings. But it was just – it was a program about doing the right thing and going about it the right way, and it was all going to lead to a winning tradition. Wasn't there some hill or something you guys had <laughs> to run there? I mean, I've heard some rumors you guys had to do some crazy stuff there. So there, there's a couple of hills. There's Euclid Hill, there's Hospital, Slaughterhouse, just the names right there. You're like, man, that, that sounds terrible. <laughs> Slaughterhouse. Um, yeah, so that in our fall workouts, it was like every Saturday you had a, a big run. Uh, Euclid was like our shortest run, but it was the tallest hill. And we'd be at the very bottom of the hill, and you, have Coach Brew, you could hear Coach Brew at the top of the hill say, go and then he'd start running and the you know I learned it after my freshman year don't look up 
just keep looking at the ground. And it was almost like your nose was touching the, the, the road and you're running up it. And then honestly, my least favorite was Slaughterhouse just because it was, uh, you know, it was one of the longer runs. And, I, you know, I was not an endurance guy. <laughs> I, was a good, I was good for short distance. But, oh, yeah, it was tough. And I, I truly believe it, it, it made us mentally tough enough to get ready for that competition um, come the spring. Well, that's a great point. And I, you, I hear from the strength conditioning guys that that type of running, you know, what do you call it? Hell week or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense from a physiological standpoint. And it may be, I, I mean, they're more expert. They're more of an expert than I am in that regard, but we did something similar when I was at Xavier and the times that I did finish it, mm-hmm. which my first year I didn't, but the times I did, I, I felt so much, I just felt so proud of myself. I felt so much tougher just mentally. And I think there is something to that, just as you just alluded For to. For sure. Now, wait, wait, go ahead. Go ahead. The, no, like the best thing is when you did finish, you were like, man, I, I conquered that. I yeah. beat that. And it didn't really matter what your time was. It didn't matter how exhausted you were. When you finished it, you were like, man, I just ran seven miles. <laughs> it's like right. I've never done that in my, in my entire life. And it's just like, man, that's that's awesome. So going out there and you're down 0-2 in a count uh, come the spring and, it, and maybe it's a conference tournament. You're just like, yeah, this is easy compared to that seven mile run I just had. <laughs> now, do you, you, you since you've, you've coached on your own, like I said, you were the head coach last year. You've coached for several years now. Have you implemented any of that type of running or do you, do you think you've had to move away from that just because of where we're at as a society today of like not wanting to push too much? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think there there's a difference between punishment run, right, and, and kind of that mentality and uh, mental toughness to push through. I, I haven't necessarily used any of you know the the running as that, um, but you know it, even I go back to some of my lessons that I would do, and we would do some you know some full body workout stuff and you get some kids that they just never done it before and you see them struggle a little bit. And as a coach, you're like, you got this, you got this because you know, they're capable of doing it. And as coaches, yes, you don't want to wear them down. You don't want to, to break them, but you do want to push their limits. So then, you know, again, I go back to that feeling when you cross that line of that seven mile run, those kids, you know, they're, they're so happy. They're so excited that they accomplished it. And yeah, they're exhausted. They're worn out, but they're, you know, they're proud of themselves. And as a coach, I, you know, I'm proud of them because, you know, I've been there, but I'm like, I also know how bad that was. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, you, you feel for them a little bit too. No, I mean, I, I'm really excited for this episode and to have you on just because I've, I've consumed your content for a while now and you know you do some really cool stuff on the infield side and really take a a lot of the the data and and there's all this data driven hitting and pitching and things like that but you've really taken it from an infield perspective and made it applicable made it understandable for for someone even just like myself who's never coached or really done much in the infield and I feel like I've learned something. So I wanted to have you on because I know a lot of our listeners will learn something too. Has, has the infield always been a, a passion of yours or was it something that just you'd stumbled upon it and it just grew from there? Uh, I'd say, you know, growing up, not being too big of an offensive guy, I, I always loved the defense. Um, 
I, you know, my brother and my dad, big role models, they'd always harp on me, you know, if you're going to take 100 swings, you better take 100 ground balls. So, you know, I kind of credit them for that. Um, nothing gets me more excited than watching, you know, good defensive play and go back to defense and, and pitching wins championships. And, and that's a, a big thing that I'm a, a true believer in. Um, yes, you got to score some runs, but you also got to keep runs off the board. So, you know, I, again, I, a passion has been always coach college baseball, but it's always been to coach infielders too. So I guess for those listening out there, like how would you go about doing this at the amateur high school level, like collecting data, making it data driven for infielders, um, just because, and again, I'm what I'm going to do too for those listening is I'm, I'll put the link to Tyler's website on the show notes, so that way, if anyone any anyone out there wanting to check that out, it might be a little bit easier to just to be able to see the visuals too. But I'm um, just going back to the question I was going to say, like, what would you recommend? How would they? What what's the good starting point for them? Yeah, um, really, the biggest thing is videotape. You know, whether it's just you have a phone iPad, camcorder, whatever. Um, and, and I've been places like when I was coaching the Scorpions this past summer, they didn't have, you know, it was me and my assistant coach, who was, you know, the pitching guy. Um, so, you know, you're trying to do all these things. And I think at the amateur level, you know, you, you might have a little bit of help, but it might just be one or two other guys. So, you know, trying to sit there and, and just chart infield stuff, that might not be the most valuable thing at that time because you're trying to worry about, you know, pitching changes or uh, defensive replacements, all those other big things that go on. So, you know, videotape and, and going back and spending that time, because again, my philosophy is defense wins championships. So if, if it's important to you, videotape it, go back. Um, and, and then also be, you know, be open, understand, you know, again, I, I heard it all over travel. I always heard it during the lessons is, catch the ball with two hands, you know, get in front of the ball and, and understand that's not always the case. Um, that was something I had to learn. You, you know, I still think I'm young. So, but, uh, at a young coaching age that, you know, that's, I, I'd always been taught that I'd always hear that. And it was something I thought, you know, Hey, that's the way to do it was, you know, Hey, we got to get in front of the ball and now understanding it and seeing it all the time. It's, it's not the case. So, you know, videotape and, and be adaptable. So for videotaping, would you videotape every kid and then go over it with them? Or would you just highlight a couple kids and then maybe have some video of a pro guy doing something similar so all the kids could see the difference? Yeah, um, I, I would set it up differently just depending on the day. If, you know, I, I really wanted to focus on one kid, then I'd have the camera just focused on him. I'd even go back to having it a full zoom and seeing everybody um, and just kind of watching it. And then also videotape different angles too. Um, something that I, I, again, I'm a big believer in is the prep step. And I think one of the best views for that is behind angle. Um, the side angle of a, of a player, I think is really good at seeing routes to the ball, um, seeing the, the presentation of the glove. So, you know, mixing it up. If you really want to work with just one singular guy that, you know, hey, I, I know something's going wrong. I'm not sure what it is. Focus on that. Um, if you want to see a full perspective, do that. If you want to see throws, you want to see carries, you know, kind of zoom behind and maybe get that angle so you can see the throws to first base. Um, and, and just playing around with it. I've even played around with a GoPro and putting it on the chest of a guy, 
uh, putting it on the hat just so he can kind of see his movement, see the glove and, and just got to get an eye for what he's actually seeing too. So just kind of play around with it. And, and I think you can get some valuable information from all of those different views. What are your, um, what's your opinion on players trying to make fancy, crazy plays? Like I'm in Cincinnati and Brandon Phillips, they'd always highlight him oh, yeah. practicing all these crazy plays. And he, don't be wrong. He was incredible. I think what separated him is he could just make the routine play too. Yeah. But w- what are your thoughts on that? Cause I hear both sides and I, I understand both sides. Yeah. So again, I go back to the early coaching days and, and I still even say you got to make the routine play a hundred percent of the time. And that was something early coaching days only practice the routine play. Um, and, and now I'm like, boy, was I wrong? Um, you know, 90% of our practice will be the routine play, but 10% of it's going to be letting them be athletic. Um, because again, at the end of the day, we need to get outs and there's going to be plays that are going to be tough ones. And if they haven't practiced it there, you can't expect them to make those tough outs. So, you know, that, that last, whatever might be 10 minutes, five minutes of infield practice that you have with guys, let them go make web jams, let them go be athletic. Maybe it's letting them feel the ball between their legs. Maybe it's letting them turn double plays with glove flips. Now they also have to understand that's not, a you know on a routine ball or a normal play that's not how it's done but if you let them if you give them the confidence and and you tell them like hey you know I believe in you and and I trust your instincts and if it's a play that it's it's tough and you just got to find a way to get it out um, I think the players will respect that and they'll understand that and they'll see that you know you have some trust in them yeah and I think it's also to your point there ending practice or maybe the infield session is mm-hmm. they want, they like that. It's fun. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's, it's kind of an element of even if pitchers or kids wanting to throw curveballs all the time, it's, it's like, they're going to do it no matter what. So you let's just like somehow implement it into actual practice. And so they look forward to it too. So they can get through the regular stuff so they can have fun and do all the web jam stuff. I, I go back to like, you're, you're in class and you're probably going to pay attention for the first 10, 15 minutes and then everything else in between, you're not going to pay attention to. (laughs) And then the last five minutes you'll be, you'll refocus. And that's where I go to on that is, Hey, let's get their attention here. This is what's most important work on this routine play. And then to bring them back is let them have some fun, let them be athletic. And when you mix those things up for them, practice becomes enjoyable and it's not just like oh man we got to go to practice again today it's hey you know we get to go to practice today it's gonna be fun who knows what coach is going to do for us and uh you know that's one thing that I really enjoy hearing as a coach is when a kid comes up and he's like man where do you come up with some of this stuff it's like we've never done that we've always just went out there field ground balls and I'm like well I gotta mix it up for you so you have some fun every once in a while that's beautiful (laughs) that's beautiful that's awesome what, I mean, you're at Missouri now and you know, a big time college baseball. You've been at Stetson, you, you know, you're played at Marietta, you know, summer baseball, travel baseball for um, young high school kids. Are your practice plans essentially the same? Like, are you pretty much doing the same drills with all ages and skill levels? Yeah. So, you know, from going from, you know, Ohio University to Bucknell to Stetson, you know, I, all, you know, I, I thought, you know, it's in my head and no offense to any of those programs. I always felt like I was taking a step up 
And I was like, all right, well, maybe I just need to lay off guys and, and just let them do their thing because they're here for a reason. And each time I'm like, man, was I wrong? It's like, no, everybody needs uh, to be taught. They all need to understand, you know, hey, this is how some things are done the proper way. Here's where I can let you be athletic. Um, and, and that's one thing that I've learned is coaching's coaching and it's our job. Now, you know, there's a time and place to kind of let them do their thing, but it's also, you know, our job as coaches to, to teach them up. And so when they get to the game, they understand it. If they're struggling, they have something to go back to. Um, so really, you know, and when I'm kind of building my practice plans, I build them around three things and it's our arm, it's our, our feet and it's our hands. And, and that's really never changed because those are the three things as an infielder you need and, and you have to do. So, you know, when I'm building those practice plans, all right, I look at those three things. Are we accomplishing, you know, getting the arms going? Am I getting the feet moving? Am I getting the hands right? And once I check all those boxes, I'm like, all right, there we go. We're good to go today. What about from just a like warming up? You know, you hear, are you throwing to warm up? Or are you warming up to throw? I mean, is there something, I guess maybe I should say that's more so for hitting. I say that sometimes for hitting, but yeah. from an infield perspective, is that the same concept or do you have a routine you want guys doing before they start throwing or mm -hmm. is it kind of, they can get loose just by throwing? Yeah. So, so one of my biggest pet peeves in, in baseball is watching a team warm up before a game and then they go take IO and the first time they throw from a low slot or a side slot is in IO and they make a bad throw. And it's like, well, if you would have just spent two minutes on that 20 minutes ago when you were warming up now, all of a sudden that's not feeling that awkward. It's not feeling that different. So, um, or even, you know, going back to NIO when, you know, you're playing shortstop and all of a sudden now I kind of have an angled throw rather than just throwing straight at, um, if I can incorporate just those things in a throwing program, now all of a sudden they get more comfortable with what they're actually going to do in the game. Um, where, you know, yes, there's a time and place I got to get my arm loose, but I believe we can get our arm loose by doing what we're going to actually do in the game. So, you know, yeah, and from a hitting standpoint, not a hitting guy, yes, there, there's a point where we're going to hit off of a tee, but, you know, we're going to truly start to get better as we start to see some velo. And, and I think it's the same thing from an infield side of things. Yes, I need to get the arm loose, but whether it's me spending the last five minutes of our, our throwing program or uh, catch and throw program at, from the, them throwing from their actual positions, I truly believe that's a, a huge benefit to them to just, you know, hey, this is where I'm throwing from. This is the angle that I'm seeing. This is my visual. And boom, I go out and execute that. So after, the, so they warm up throwing just regular warm up. And then the last five minutes of them throwing with their partner, that's when they should, that's when you have them practice their arm slot. Yeah, no. So we'll actually start off with our angle throws. Oh, you'll start off like that. We'll okay. start off angle throws and then I'll move them back and I'll get them in their legs somehow, whether it's, uh, um, you know, rockers, which you kind of lean forward, lean back and throw. And then I'll start to have them work on their footwork patterns, two-step, four-step as they continue to back up. And then as they start to bring it in, we'll do positional throw. And each day there's a, a different uh, responsibility. That day might be four-step pattern, uh, could be on the run pattern. Um, and, you know, as we, as we start off, maybe it's early fall, 
you know, I'll, I'll just have them kind of get their footwork under them and we'll just do it straight on. But, you know, kind of in season like this, that last five minutes, I'll say, instead of bringing it in, let's go to our positions and we'll finish our throwing and, and break it down that way. So I get that visual. What's the amount of reps you want guys to have at each position? I've heard there's some guys, um, you know, maybe even higher up who they only want just 10 ground balls, but they're going as hard as they can for those 10 to 15 ground balls. And you hear of, you know, taking tons and tons of ground balls. Like what's your philosophy on that? Is that age dependent too? Um, I, I, I'm a true believer. It's not about quantity. It's about quality. Um, and I think, you know, you, you mentioned that, I, th- I think, again, same thing as a hitting standpoint, some guys are, are good to go after 10 swings. Some guys need a hundred swings to get that feel. Um, and I think that's a, it's an individual, uh, thing where some guys, like you said, it might be 10 ground balls and I'm feeling good hands, feet are feeling good. And some guys like, I, I don't have that feeling right now. I need to take an, some extra. Um, so I, I just think it's an individual standpoint, you know, and them to understand that too. It's not, Hey, I just got to go take 10 and I'm good to go. And maybe it's, they're not, they didn't take 10 quality reps. And it's like, Hey, no, you need to keep going because you know, I'm seeing this and we need to kind of work on this. So I think it's on an individual basis, but the more you move up, hopefully those guys have an understanding of their feel and what they need to get, you know, get game ready. What about when you were coaching with the Scorpions, those younger guys who they don't really mm-hmm. know themselves yet? Mm-hmm. How, how would you decipher the amount of reps just because they don't know like what's like when they're good sometimes? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, from a, a younger standpoint, um, I, I go back to what my dad and brother said was, how many swings did you take today? I probably took 100. All right, we're going to take 100 ground balls today. <laughs> um, just so they get in that mindset that, hey, defense is important too. You know, you, you spend all this time in the cage. Well, you need to spend all this time on the field too. If you're a guy who gets some good feel and you only need to take 15 swings in the cage, all right, I'll evaluate you defensively in those first 15. If it looks pretty good, maybe that's all you need. Um, maybe it is, you know, hey, maybe you're a little bit more ahead on the offensive side and we need to get you a little bit going on the defensive side. We might spend a little extra time on that. But, again, I, I think it's all on the individual, um, but stressing how important it is to be quality over quantity. One of the uh, one of the first things I ever really saw with infield and drills and, and some of this few years ago was the um, uh, famous Ron Washington video of him hitting like a ground ball. And it just for me, I guess what would be what's the difference of hitting of him hitting it with a bat versus me just taking it with my hand and just throwing it at the same spot? You mean like his famous knee drills, right? Yeah, I guess for um, me, I get, it never – I was like, I get it. it. Like, it looks cool, and it's impressive that he can do that in the same spot. But, I mean, like, why couldn't I just take my hand and just throw it right where they're fielding it? <laughs> for sure. And uh, it's a spin thing, right? It's a spin off the bat. What are you going to see in the game, right? The little top spin, back spin, and Ron's pretty good with the fungo. He can manipulate the different spins and create some different hops where if you go out, say, Hey guys, we're going to do some knee drills today and guys kind of just roll it nice and easy. And there's no real spin to it. Um, it's not very game-like. And I think Ron 
is pretty good at making everything game like, and that's where he'll go. And it's a little showboat. He can, he can, he can move <laughs> with the fungo a little bit, but I, I'm not that good with the fungo or Hey, he's two feet away and I can hit a perfect, you know, backspin or topspin little fungo there to give it to him. But I think, you know, that drill is great for him and, and anyone. If you can hit a fungo and be that close to create some actual spin off the bat, that's true rather than just rolling it underhand or just flipping it underhand. I've, I've read online that there I've, I've seen some coaches that aren't even doing fungos sometimes in practice anymore. Like the typical throw it, throw the ball up by yourself as a coach and hit it. They're having someone throw from the side or just guys taking live reads. What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, I, I have a bunch of different drills. We'll do some where it's a coach roll, a coach thrown ball. Um, it's somewhere, hey, we're doing ball and glove, and the focus is the throwing today. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you got to see a ball off the bat. You have to learn how to read swings. And you know, I one of my one of my posts I, I like to always put on on Twitter is take live reads during batting practice. Let's let's get the, what a true spin off the bat's going to actually look like. Let's get a true read of, you know, the swing of the hitter and, and, and all of that. So, you know, it, it's important. Yeah, you can do these rolling drills. You can do, you know, ball and glove. You can do throw it up to yourself and catch it. All of that stuff's great. Those are like sort of like our T work for infielders, but we got to get some live looks somehow and, you know, if you're up north and it's January or, you know, the first week of February and you got games going on in a week or two and you haven't seen a live ball off a of bat, it can be tough. Um, you know, and I've been some places up north and where, you know, the first live read we get off of a bat is that first game and, and guys struggle with it. So the more you can see off the bat, the better you're going to be able to, you know, to get your infielders prepared for what they're actually going to see in the game. What do you, what do you think about using like the pancake glove or the small training glove? I, I mean, do you implement that with all of your guys or just specific guys who might benefit more from that? So <clears throat> typically right in the fall, you know, I'll, I'll roll out all the different gloves, but every guy's got to use them. Um, they, the pancake glove for me is great for two hands and learning how to get that other hand on top. I also like it for a backhand standpoint. A lot of guys want to pull up or give with it and bring up. So if, if I'm trying to teach them to kind of push through with that, that paddle glove, I'm telling them to hit it back towards me. So I think the paddle has its purpose. The mini glove has its purpose. It, it kind of enhances their focus on staying low and staying underneath the baseball um, and kind of that American sniper mentality of aim small miss small um but you know again er early fall everybody's going to use it and then from there on out it's i give the guy some freedom if they want to take pre-game io with it if they want to take live reads off of bp with it be my guest if that's what it needs you know you need to get ready for it um so that then it becomes an individual basis if i'm seeing a guy who really pulling up on the ball early isn't doesn't have that focus on catching the ball first i'm gonna throw that mini glove to him and say hey you're taking all your ground balls with it uh, but yeah at first everybody's gonna do it and then it's an individual thing after that gotcha yeah i, I probably would have been one of those guys that would have needed that <laughs> mini glove for sure what now one of the things that you don't see a lot of on social media is infield drills for first baseman and like first baseman mm -hmm. work i mean 
I, I, for me, I think first base, it's, it's such an important position. I mean, if you have a bad fir- first baseman, they stick out like a sore thumb. I mean, no. you really, like, you really need to have someone good over there. Are the stuff that you have first baseman do completely different from second, short, and third, or is it just the same stuff? For me, you know, <clears throat> first baseman is the backbone of the infield. Um, if you have a good first baseman, it makes the rest of them look better. And, you know, I, I refer to them as like the ugly friend, you know, that they're, they're just grinding it out and they're going to make the rest of us look better. Um, so, you know, I, I like some athleticism over there in that position where it used to be kind of a big donkey position. You're sticking your biggest kid over there. But I, I really love some athleticism at first base because it's going to create outs. It's going to get, you know, eliminate errors and it's going to create outs for us. Um, you know, yes, they're going to go through all those things that a shortstop and a second baseman and a third baseman are going to do, because I think it's going to help their athleticism. Um, but you know, there's obviously some, some different things that they're going to do some bag work. Um, I also like taking their glove off and doing some bare hand stuff because then they get kind of a feel for, you know, you can't have big movements with your bare hand because there's not, you know, there's a small margin for error. And, um, if they, if they have that focus of just catching it bare hand, a small target and if they can do it with a bare hand they're going to be able to do it with a glove now how hard are you throwing it when they're doing it with a bare hand not too hard obviously i don't want to hurt them with it uh, we also will mix in some of those mini first base gloves and that's where i can start to pick up speed i can even fungo those and that's where i can get a little bit more pace to it um, but i want them to get that focus when they're going bare hand close by of hey this is where i'm catching it um, I want to mix in some spin too. I, I, you know, most of the, most of the throws are going to get are those backspin throws, four seam, whatever. But I'll mix in some top spins just so it creates some different hops because every field's going to be different. You don't know how the field's going to react. Uh, we have the luxury here at Mizzou of turf, and hopefully every hop's going to be similar. But I don't want our guys to get comfortable just with turf. I want them to be ready to play. Um, you know, at a natural surface like Florida uh, come April. I want them to get ready for professional baseball where not too many of the professional baseball fields are turf. So they get, I want them to be able and ready for any environment that's thrown at them. Similar to hitting, there's, uh, you know, different weighted balls that guys will you do when they hit inside the plyo balls, which mm-hmm. I, I like. I think there's a lot of value on the fielding side. What are your thoughts on hitting guys, hitting infielders with different weighted implements so they can really feel where they're catching that ball in their glove? Yeah, so this this actually, this, this spring, right when I got here, I started implementing um, heavy ball and the light ball training out of the machine. And I really loved it just because, again, on turf, the, the different weights, they create some different hops and guys, you know, all of a sudden they started to get exposed a little bit. They kind of get that turfitis that I call it and like, man, that ball didn't, you know, it didn't bounce at all. It just stayed down or, oh man, that one bounced a lot. So I think for that purpose, it's great because they didn't know what hop they were going to get. But also, you know, I think the heavy ball it serves its purpose of creating soft hands. If they don't have soft hands, they're going to feel a thump in that glove. And everything I've been telling them up to that point of, hey, man, we need to have some loose hands, some funneling. All of a sudden, now they see it for themselves. Like, why is that ball hurting? Um, and it's like, I've been telling you, you got to have soft hands. You got to funnel. You got to be loose with your wrist. Um, the, the light ball is great on uh, uh, keeping them honest of, of staying down. 
because all of a sudden, you know, the one that was supposed to bounce, it was supposed to bounce. All of a sudden, that light ball just flattens out and stays down, and you can see the guys that come up too early. And, and I think it's just great feedback. They don't have to hear it from me. They see it for themselves, and that's something as a coach – yeah, I hope they all listen to me, but if they can learn on their own too, that's a, that's a big thing. And then they start to trust you and, and they gain that trust of, Hey, coach is, doesn't know what he's talking about. He does, you know, that's exactly what he was saying to me. And now I can actually see it. Um, I, I really like those. I also like implementing mini baseballs. I took this from a buddy of mine um, where they'll have their own glove and now I'm just shooting, you know, I'm hitting out like those mini baseballs are super tiny and th they bounce a little bit more than the real baseball, but it kind of enhances that focus of catching the ball in the right spot of the glove. And now they start to develop some pocket awareness um, because if they don't catch it in the right spot, it starts to rattle around a little bit and, and they'll get that feel and they'll feel it in their glove like, huh, that thing just kept moving. Um, but if they catch in the right spot, it sticks there and, and they start to, to feel it for themselves. That's awesome. Yeah, that's it. And I think like anything, it just it comes down to getting them to be their own best coach so they can feel that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that's really smart on your part. There's there's a lot of people out here who are going to be listening to this who may have kids at home or, you know, maybe don't have access always to someone hit them ground balls and, you know, still want to get better. Mm -hmm. Are there anything you you would recommend? I remember Josh Harrison in the past few say like wall ball was always his go to. What is there anything that you would recommend for for those kids out there who um, who still want to get better but may not have a, a Tyler who's an infield guru to coach him all the time? <laughs> yeah, fine. Uh, get yourself a tennis ball, racquetball, baseball. Um, and go play some wall ball. That's, you know, I remember as a kid, my mom yelling at me for, you know, chipping some paint on the wall because I was throwing a ball against the, the house inside on the wall. And, and, you know, that was something that I credit that helped me a lot from a, a defensive standpoint, but, you know, mixing those different types of balls because it's going to create some different hops. And I think it's also fun for kids. You might not be the best person at hitting a fungo, but, you know, you stand behind your kid, throw it up against the wall and have them move around a little bit and, and have some fun with it. They can also go out and, and I like wall juggling, um, some things like that to just build some hand-eye coordination. I think that's something as an infielder, you know, some, you know, some of the best infielders have the best hand-eye coordination. And if you can go out there and, and teach them how to juggle or juggle on their own against a wall, um, I think that's just going to help them advance and, and, and get a better grasp of you know, pocket awareness and, and catching the ball and securing it in the right spot in my hand and my glove. Um, before we wrap this up, I, I just want to, again, re reiterate to everyone listening, like I highly recommend everyone go to Tyler's website and I'm going to put the link in the show notes, but I think it, it's going to be really valuable for those who, who want to take that next step, just because you can go on there and he literally has an entire article on how to collect data in practices and in games. And he shows, he shows you like what exactly he did when he was at Stetson, when it comes to just, you know, tracking, tracking information and how he would go about it in Excel sheets. And I think it's just, it's a great resource. Um, he also has, you know, like an infielders report card on there too. And um, just so again, you guys will be able to, and girls out there listening, will be able to help out your own players. So I think that's a, gonna be an awesome resource. Make sure to go to his website. I'll put his website in the show notes. So Tyler, appreciate you coming on today, man. And, um, you know, definitely good luck the rest of this year. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I, I appreciate everything you do for informing young coaches like myself and uh, being able to, you know, get other great minds on here to share their knowledge. Appreciate it, man.